0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Oh, Glenn, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was just out there training. Where have you been? I was out there training my dog. What took you so long? Well, we were doing this particular scenario Mm. where we were using a hard dog chomp. Yep. I got that from Canon Dynamics, by the way. From old mate Mark LaPointe? Mark LaPointe. Yep. Yeah. I uh, I get a lot of my working dog equipment from him. He
0: really flogs some good stuff,
1: doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Canon Dynamics. Yeah. And then- my dog was attached to a leash and collar. Where did you get that from? I got that from Ironswick Dog Quip.
0: Not the old bullfed. I got it from Jason. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ironswick Dog Quip. IronswickDogQuip.com. And, and
1: it all went perfectly. Yep. So I- had would you reward them, the dog? I'm I, very interested. Well, aside from the bites on the chomp, mm-hmm. but, you know, for other things, yep. I gave the dog
0: some Brights Bites. Oh, good call. Yep. Brights Bites. You really are a name dropper, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the best of the three. You've got the golden triad right there.
1: Absolutely. Mm. If you want, you know, if you're in North America and you want working dog equipment, Yep. Canon Dynamics. Yep. If you're in Australia and you want any kind of dog equipment, Einswick Dog Quip. And if you're going to use dog treats, you're crazy if you're feeding your dog anything other than Bright Spot. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello, Pat Stewart. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. That's good. Had a week off.
0: Yes. Well, not really a week off. Been out- um, From the podcast. From the podcast, yes. But not from work. No. Actually had a harder week at work than I've had for a long time. Yeah. Actually working. Actually working. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. My boss probably listens to this. (laughs) (laughs) What were you doing? Tell us about what you can. I was working for a group called Red Team, which we're going to try and get them on the podcast. Mm -hmm. They're pretty keen to come on the show and have a chat and talk about what they actually do. It's two guys. One of them was a student of mine in the NDTF, a guy called Q. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason behind that, which I'll let him tell that story when we get him on the show. It's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other guy is Andrew Coe, who is his partner. And he's a, a major in the army. So he's an officer and he's a chemist. So Q was a warrant officer for the Air Force involved in as bomb tech. Mm-hmm. So he disarm explosives and Koei is a chemist. So the two of them have got this company red team where they basically go around and help agencies learn more about the properties of explosives and any shortfalls in their training which they help them fix and bring to their attention, mm-hmm. anything that they need to fix up. So they asked me to come along as the dog training component of their course and uh, just work with them while they were doing their expertise. I was helping them with mine and we got along like a house on fire. It was it was a really good course. I was really uh, it was an honor and privilege of course to be involved in the AFP and go down there and work with um, their explosive unit. There's some really high-end handlers down there and their facility out there at Majura is just yeah, up down there. Yeah, you and I've been down there. We went down there and met up with Mick that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really good week. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. As I said, I was exhausted by the end of it because we all put so much effort into it. Early mornings, late finishes, long, long week. But it was wonderful. Had a great time. All the students in the group were very receptive. One of the guys down there, Craig, who's done the course before, he's doing a fantastic job with his dog. So he's done the course previously and came back on in a – I consider it a supervisory role. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, he, he was helping out in the course and he's made some terrific progress with his dog and he's done the NDTF course as well. Yeah, right. Just for his own knowledge and to advance his expertise and I think they would like to talk to you about Napopo into the future. Yeah, that'll be cool. Mm. That'll be exciting. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's really nice to see that they're putting their budget to good work, like they're expanding their knowledge, they're really stepping out into the world, they're being very progressive and you can't do more than that. Mm. When agencies are externalising and saying what's out there in the world, let's bring it in let's make us better, they should be really proud of what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I'm proud of what they're doing too. It's nice to know that the people representing our best interests are really searching out into the world and, and looking for what they can.
1: Yeah, it's good to see a taxpayer dollars uh, yeah, exactly. somewhere you're happy with. Mm.
0: And one thing that I do want to give a shout out to the guys, Andrew and Q, for what they're doing with Red Team. I'm not going to say that I'm so worldly and I know everything about energetics and so forth. But what I did learn with with them is the best that I've seen in 25 years of being around that. Like I've learned to look for it and be out there. I've never had such an extensive knowledge. But what they taught me and what I was taking in within five to seven days of being around them was just unbelievable. Mm. Like it expanded my world in explosives and their potential risks and everything involved around that exponentially. Mm. Uh, I couldn't recommend them high enough. If there's a government agency out there who wants to invest in the training of their personnel, you really need to get in contact with them. They're not close personal friends of mine. Well, they are now because we've spent time together. But I'm not just saying that just for the hell of it, just to say, get my mates on board. You will be suitably impressed when you spend time with them. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's, it'd be exciting to get them on and have a talk.
0: Yeah. I think people out there will be captivated when they, it's like everything. It's like things that you've been doing in your role. There's things that you can talk about and there's things that you definitely cannot. And it's the same thing with them. You know, there's things that can be spoken about in front of the curtain. There's things that have to remain behind the curtain, Mm. you know, and that's for public safety as well and everything like that. But I'm not trying to be all mysterious and spooky and crazy and stuff like that. But, you know, they're dealing with the sharp end of the sword there. So, you Mm. know, it's very interesting stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool. It's exciting. Very, very exciting. Yeah. Great honour and privilege to be included in it. Cold in Canberra? Freezing. Oh, man, don't even get me started. That was the one thing that I really wasn't enjoying. I was whinging my tits off about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Getting up in the morning and- Madura range there's so cold anyway. So cold. And it's not even full winter here yet. Yeah, yeah. But it reminded me of when I was staying at Melanie Benway's place over in uh, Virginia and getting up and you could just feel the air thick with cold air. (laughs) (laughs) And like for people who live in those climates and especially, you know, like, chatted with Zoe a little bit, um, Zoe Needy over in, in Canada. And um, like she was giving me blow-bo-blows of what Canadian winters are like and showing me pictures. And then Emma Murdoch was showing me the frozen lake, and which we went and stood by when we were taking pictures over there. And you just cannot fathom for us, yeah. you know, like we live in a in a, quite a dynamic culture where it does get cool, but it also gets very hot. Yeah. And over there it just, I mean, I know I've whinged about that before, but Canberra sucks. <laughs> Hate you, Canberra. <laughs> it's a very pretty place. Like it is a, it's a beautiful area, but just the cold climate is, yeah, I just, I don't do well in the cold. Yeah, yeah. So I was rugged up like no one's business. I think I had like four layers of clothes on and was still cold. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's no fun, Canberra. No.
1: What are we talking about?
0: I don't know. You are going to do the topic today. Oh, I had an idea, yeah. Yeah. Something that's
1: been pretty cool mm. is uh, I've been doing a lot of these uh, online sessions, right? Because...
0: Mm. Uh, Oh, sorry. Can I jump on you? Yes. Jump on me. Jump in. Jump in for a sec. Jump in me. Jesus. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in for a sec. I'm sorry to interrupt. But one thing that uh, a few of the guys were talking to me down there and and a few other people online have have contacted me about was that when we mentioned Patreon, because you've been doing some really. Uh, yeah. yeah. You've been doing some really dynamic stuff on Patreon lately. I've been watching what you're doing and it's, you know, like you're really giving people some next level information. Mm -hmm. So what a few people have said to me is we say to people go to Patreon, but then they don't know what to do because they're not familiar with Patreon. Yes. So I'm not trying to sales pitch you here, but what I'm trying to do is help people who have put in a complaint saying, we say go to Patreon. When you do go to Patreon up the top, there's a search bar type in the canine paradigm. If you're not familiar with it and then you can find us and there is Extra content on Patreon. So yes. we charge a small fee for pay, for the Patreon content because it is our education portal. Mm-hmm. You know, Pat's doing a lot of stuff on there. I've done a, a dribs and drabs of a few things. I've got some more stuff ready to come on board soon. But that's where you find it and how you get involved in Patreon.
1: Yeah. So Patreon.com. Patreon.com. In that search, The Canine Paradigm. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different tiers people can get into.
0: Yeah. So you can basically – anything that – interest you you can flick through it and if it sounds good you can you can pay for a subscription from it's anywhere from three dollars up to uh, i think a hundred dollars if you that's a hundred dollars is more of a donation thing but yeah most of the educational things are around about three to ten dollars
1: yeah the ten bucks is the best value for money it is there's
0: video there's you know you can see pat's beautiful blue eyes while he's winking at his audience that's all part of it (laughs)
1: <laughs> so um, a lot of that Patreon content, what we've been doing is I changed the way I do these Zoom calls, right? So mm. uh, now I record myself. I don't record what the other person is saying. If they, like what's been cool yep. is I've had a lot of people who were intending to go to the boot camps and stuff that I was going to do in the States mm. and the seminars and that sort of thing. And they're like, hey, uh realize that's not happening and God knows when that's going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to learn the system and what's us do it in, in lessons, which has been great. I've been enjoying doing that. And it means that sometimes, like, if I if I go on a bit of a rant about a particular thing, like, I'll get that content and then mm. we can put it into Patreon for everybody else to see, right? So people are kind of um, crowdsourcing the their private lesson. Anyway, but I've been having these really cool conversations with people, mm. right? So they're, like, you know, uh, in the past when I would do the online lessons, usually it would be someone with a problem. we would call and be like, hey, this is what I've got going on. And, and we work through, we problem solve and we work through it, right? Yep. But now there's people calling me, I don't even know what kind of dog they have, right? Like, it's not like there's a problem. They're like, I want to learn the system and I want to understand like, how would you imagine you went to a client's place and you encountered this, what would you do? Mm. Which is the normal sort of things, the questions that you would get at a seminar or something like that or a workshop. But because they're not happening, people are coming to it. So having really interesting, deep conversations with people back and forth. And some of them are really accomplished dog trainers. They just want to buy my opinion
0: on a situation that they're in or it's something good. like that. That's what I was literally talking about before is expanding your knowledge in, yeah. in general areas. Yeah, totally. Mm. Um,
1: yeah. And so, you know, I'm doing a lot of different ones at the moment where I've got lots of people who I am, you know, basically teaching mm. like my my workshop to, but in our blocks, right? And, and you know, it's, a, it's modified because it's not the same sort of thing. But it ends up in these like really interesting conversations. And, and the other day someone was asking me, and it's a sort of a recurring theme about like different styles of dog training and why such a thing would exist amongst really high level people. Yep. And when you talk about that kind of stuff, you, you know, the, the three names that always come out is like Ivan, Michael Ellis and Bart, right. Yep. And really quite for um, our field yeah, the of people interest. that we're talking, yeah. that yeah. I'm talking to yeah. anyway. And we've had the same, we've had the question in our Facebook group, like, you know, should I buy you know, I mean, I've mean, I got some money to buy an online class should I buy a Michael Ellis DVD or should I buy the Ivan mm,
0: yeah, I saw that question the other day right? mm.
1: and it's really interesting and there's no right answer to that because they're all really valuable
0: but that's where that little girl in the taco ad needs to go why not both yeah
1: well you know everybody has um, <laughs> budget it's, yeah it's budget, budget it. and, and time and time time mm. is the big one Yeah, I think. you've only got so much time and, and ability you know we've talked about here that I think that while it's a great idea to take on as much knowledge as you can I think it's only wise to take in as much as you can use or is relevant to you. That's a good
0: point. So you don't flood yourself with information. Well, you just don't develop a chokehold on trying to cram in too much. And as you said, yeah, that's a good point. The other thing too is we assume that people have plenty of time on their hands while all this coronavirus thing's going on. But some people are having busier less time, ever. they're busier yeah. than ever, you know, they're baking their breads and they're <laughs> doing all that. But, you know, they, they, they're not, they're spending time with their families and they've got kids to educate and-
1: Well, I think one thing that like I can speak on that is you have like a lot of people now are having to work much harder to make their money,
0: yep. right? Like yeah, the, Yeah. good point. Because you've got to, you know,
1: you're- your are doing different jobs. Yeah, your usual mm. source of income isn't there and mm. so- you know, to stop going backwards, you, you, people are adapting and Adaptation. changing what they do, yep. mm. and that's hard. And and you know, you're starting in something new. The, the profit isn't where it would would have been if you were running for five years. Mm. So you you know you have like that's why people are so busy. I'm I'm really busy, and it's just kind of you know it's nonstop. It's not like I'm flat stick balls to the wall like away from home, but it's like nonstop little projects that. I've had sort of tinkering around in my mind they've been on the back burner and now I'm trying to bring them forward um, mm. to, you know, use that time. So it's not like – I think that there aren't that many people who are
0: just Netflixing. And no, if they no. are,
1: like, I'm jealous of you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it was the same predicament that I was in because people have been saying to me, you know, I bet you're enjoying all this free time you've had. And I said, where? Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm literally doing 14-hour days trying to study things that I have no knowledge about. Which is all the job keeper, job seeker, and all the you know Fair Work Commission changes that they're doing and everything. Like, I mean, it, the, our government can't even get it right. Where do I stand a chance on yeah. that sort of thing? Because it they changes. They do understand it. What well, it's so liquid. You know, I mean, it changes dynamically all the time, and you really have to keep an eye on it. So, yeah, it's been really balls to the wall action on following all that, and then listening to the staff, and then making sure they're all, all okay and. We've had to put people um, – well, not put them off, but we've had to reduce hours and all sorts of things like that, which is just terrible. Yeah. It's just sad. Yeah. You know, it really is. It's just – it's a horrible fucking time for you people.
1: Know, while we're on the topic of it, I think long-term, even not long-term, like right now, there's so many people who are in the mental health predicament, and I don't mm-hmm. think we should get into the you know, the cost-benefit analysis of a virus taking over the world and you know, the the mortality rate of that versus you know what's going to happen – Versus, you know, like mental health of people and how that's going to play out. Because what the fuck do we know? But I certainly am experiencing it myself. Mm. I'm lucky that I have a home gym, yeah, and you know, not like a giant gym, but I have everything I need to to train. Well, you are a person that needs to move around. I have to, and otherwise, like if I were to die, if I were a dog and I were going to be diagnosed, like I have barrier frustration, and Mm. we have that in our whole family because me and Jane both work in jobs that we would do. If we weren't getting paid. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I really, it, it's been interesting for me because, you know, I left the army kind of not on my own terms. I've medically discharged and mm. fractured my back. And so I wanted to stay in there and I'd never, that was all I ever wanted to do. I, it didn't occur to me that I was ever going to have to get another job. Mm. And I like training dogs and stuff, but you know, I've really in the last 12 months been the happiest I think I've ever been. Cause I really enjoy teaching. I really have been like, this is it. Like, this is what I wanted. This is, I'm really super happy. Well, something doing you're this. good at
0: and you found your forte.
1: Yeah, I, mm. I've been loving it, and you know, Jane as a, as an artist is like you know, if we were the richest people on the planet, she'd be tattooing people still, right? because yeah. that's that's what well, she you can, does.
0: You can see on her social media feeds, like she's drawing and creating yeah. and painting and.
1: But so when you when you when you really have you know you got what you want, like it's our, we're both so happy in our work, mm. and to be not be able to work, and it'll come back, like it's you know, but it's just barrier of frustration. Both of us are so frustrated. Yeah, and I think there isn't a better word for that. Like we're just like. Fuck! I wish I could be doing my job, mm. and I'm lucky then, like that we have at least a, a very good gym setup at home, so I can you know physically go train. Go and throw so kettlebells around. Yeah, go and yeah. get angry at some stuff, which is why mm. my voice isn't working now because yesterday I did such a screaming. Crisis. Yeah, well, no, yesterday <laughs> I did such a heavy session, my body's melting down over it. But without that, we'd be in big trouble, and I think there's plenty of people who don't have that right. Mm. Like so there's a lot of people that are just so frustrated and caught up, and I think
0: that yeah, it's it's fucking hard times, man the important thing for those people is to remember that there is a network of people that aren't superficial and do care about them and they can reach out to people. Yeah. And there are certainly a lot of mental health lines as well that you can, you can reach out to. And the great thing about our community too, is that a lot of people who do genuinely care about each other, you know, and that's the, I know we've echoed this thought, but you know, we've had birdie on the show several times. She is one of the most caring people we know. Mm. I mean, Bertie on a regular basis still now, like I'll just be fucking around doing something and I'll get a little message from her saying, hey, hope your day's going great. Thinking about you, love Bertie or something like that. Yeah. I mean, she's just a genuine person. There's not many people who do that as regularly as what she does. Yeah, as genuinely. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, absolutely. It is genuine care and, and love and affection from a friend. And that is, that's nice. And I think we need to remember sometimes that, you know, when I'm traveling in the car up to Terrigal or somewhere like that. I go through my list of people that I know, and I just check in on them. Just make sure they're okay. I think sometimes we've got to remember: don't be too busy to check in on people, mm. especially people that you are important to you and you care about them, and so forth. Make five ten minutes just to say, "Hey, I'm thinking about you. Hope you're well. You know, what are you doing? Tell me about your life." And then listen to them. Mm. You know, just don't talk over the top of them. Listen to listen to what they're going through, and and be a friend. You know, mm. even if they've got a whinge, let them have a whinge. Give mm. them give them ten minutes to get it off the chest because it it might make their day. Mm. Especially now, especially in this time, it should be something that we should practice as you know human beings to each other. And it's difficult to do when you do get caught up in things and people are calling you and you've got life going on. But there have been times I've been listening to a podcast and I think, hey, I might make this time to, to call somebody that I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, there's a lady in, in America called Robin Myers. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to have a shout out for her because she had a pretty nasty accident and snapped both her ankles. and. You know, messed herself up pretty badly and she's a lovely girl. I met her on the conference a couple of times and she's touch base. And uh, Robin, hope you're well and hope you're recovering. I've, yeah. I've seen the images of pins in your legs and everything and your spirits are really up high. And, you know, hope things go your way and about to buy yourself a new car. So good luck with everything and stay positive. Mm. On to the topic. Back to what I was talking about. Yeah.
1: So it kind of got me thinking this idea of, you know, people talk about Michael Ellis does this. Ivan does this, Bart does this. And we yep. use those three names because they're the you know the biggest name in the type of dog training industry, the, the, the portion of the industry that we're in. Yep. Right? Yep. Agreed. And can have some quite stark contrast in the way that they do things and are all super successful. Mm. And this guy was asking me, he's like, you know, why? How's that come to be? I'm kind of stumped me a little bit. And I, like I had to, you know, there's like a 10 second pause where I did the Elon Musk like <laughs> <laughs> or the Jordan Peterson. You know, when you hear them do like interviews and there's a long pause yep. and you're like, Oh my God, magnificent things are about to come out of their mouth. And they go, um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, thought, I thought I did the long pause and I was like, Hmm, I have nothing, uh, nothing magnificent <laughs> came out, but I thought about a lot. Right. So mm. I think one of the things is people develop styles of dog training that suits the type of dogs that they like to train, right? So what's been cool is while I've been in the States, I've worked some of the LDS dogs, right? Like Luke DeSole, Michael Ellis' dogs. And they're all of a particular type. He breeds them, right? And they're, you know, you can kind of pick them Mm. by the way, like the body shape, but also like, you know, the way they react to things. And, you know, it's a a very good, strong bloodline that Mm. is uh, identifiable. He's repeating good matings, right? Like you can see it. Anyway, but so his training system works quite fantastically on those dogs. And it works, it works in general. It's, a, it's, it's great training, but it's really the spear is sharpened to point in that direction, yep. right? Now, I know Bart pretty well, and I know the type of dogs he likes to train, mm. and they're very different, right? I would call the LDS dogs, while some of them can be quite serious and they work, I don't know them all, right? But they're a sporty sort of dog. That's mm-hmm. what you'd think. Bart likes the sort of really more powerful, dominant, possessive kind of dogs, yep. right? And his style of training is really focused towards that kind of dog. And it works on all dogs, but it's really focused towards that kind, right? So, it just kind of got me thinking that I think what ends up happening is that you lean towards your own successes. Mm. So, when you're training a dog and it's going a particular well and you like a particular style of dog, that's the type of dog you're going to try and surround yourself with.
0: It makes sense, right?
1: Exactly. Totally. Mm. Mm. And then, of course, your training style is going to lean towards that Mm. because you're, you want success. and It's
0: cohesion. It favors each other. Exactly. And mm. we've
1: talked here, you know, we have a term in the army, planning construct. Mm. That is like your plan should account for, it should be geared towards your most likely course of action. Yep. But be able to deal with the most dangerous course of action. Mm. And when I put that into sort of dog training terms, it's like your your style of training should be geared towards the dog that you're likely to meet. Right. Yep. But also be willing and able to adapt and still work to an extent on all dogs. Yep. Right. And so I ended up coming back to this guy and was like, aha, I figured it out. Right. This is why. Uh, and I think that the style of trainings of, of people you'll see will reflect the type of dog that they have access to. Yep. And I think that's important then when you look at like various trainers who will say that won't work or know, yeah, this is the only way that will work. And say it with confidence as though they've they've tested that hypothesis. Mm. And perhaps they have, but on a that particular style type of dog, of dog mm. right? And then it got me thinking about this idea of, you know, training styles and, you know, take, for example, you would look at like Malinois and Border Collie, the dog trainers dogs, right? Most yep. dog trainers, like when they decide, like, you know, they've got whatever dog they had when they start in, but a good probably, you know, maybe But they've progressed 70, on
0: to wanting to compete. Yeah, they get mm. to a
1: dog and they're like, okay, I am buying a dog – from the right breeder and I'm going to do X, Y, Z with this dog. Most of them end up with either a Malinois if it's going to be biting or a Border Collie or some sort of equivalent if it's not going to be biting. Because they're very similar dogs in some ways, but total stark contrast in others. So I did a call recently and we were talking about a Border Collie puppy and I was like, you know, you have to, if you want to train in the style of training that I like to do, Mm. you're going to have to prepare that Border Collie for – training like that because it's not going to be naturally into it. Right. So like we use the like slip lead and tools of pressure and we want the dog to lean into that. Well, a border collie is typically going to be very spatially sensitive Mm -hmm. and is going to want to pull away from pressure. Right. And that's a hardwired genetic trait. So maybe you're better off talking to someone who is a expert in training that type of dog. Mm. Right. Or, and, and training with that in mind or we can adapt, right? And we can say, okay, well, in order to fit into our model here, we've got a round hole over here. You've got a square peg. Yep. But prior, instead of just trying to shove your round hole through the square peg, we know a way that where we can make the hole bigger so it will fall in anyway, right? Yep. Or we can shave some, shave can some shave corners the off. edges off of mm. it over here. So just little things. It was actually Felicia in Canada. I'll name her. Uh, I was saying like with that Border Collie puppy, you need to start just playing some like spatial games So Mm. like encourage it to lean into you. And because, you know, otherwise if you want to do – You know, when you're healing and you turn, like your dog's likely to be very sensitive to your turns. And it depends on, you know, the type of training, where you want to go into competition. That might be a problem. That might not be, you know. Yeah. Certainly, like if you had a dog that was really spatially sensitive, if you're doing something like Mondio or PSA, something where there's unpredictable things and you as a handler might be told by a decoy or something, pick that up you know, like pick something up off the floor and carry it to a border collie. That can be a really big change of the picture. Now you, as you move your body to bend down, that can really put them off. Mm. Whereas a Malinois that might actually end Kick up them into drive. Yeah. Well that mm. might make them heal better or they yep. might push against you better. And not that you likely to be doing PSA with a border collie, but it's been done.
0: But so it and just so is be, IPO Schutzen. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Right. And yep.
1: but so same deal. Like you might not worry about that too much because you're not going to then put much pressure, spatial pressure on your dog mm. outside of a predictable routine. Yeah. Right. Like, no, the judge isn't going to walk over to you and say, go and or that the you know, the steward or decoyer isn't going to say to you, go and pick up that rake and pretend to rake at this area of the field while your dog stays in a heel. Mm. Right. Like, because that's the kind of thing that you do get in. Um, the protection of handler type scenarios in the upper levels of the bite sports, right? Yeah. And if you haven't prepared your dog for that kind of weird thing, like with most malleys, they tend not to really worry. It's just like, oh, this is novel, it doesn't worry me. But with a herd, a, 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 I know a Malin was a herder, but like a more recently herding dog, that would put them off. That would be a pressure. Um, I went to the Sydney Mondio uh, guys trial, and me did one of the best performances I've ever seen of a dog in in trial yep. with his dog that w- so he was he was decoying mm-hmm. on the first day of the trial and sprained his ankle quite badly right like couldn't walk on it was on crutches so the next day he was going to not trial because he was decoying but the next day they he couldn't decoy because of his ankle so he thought well fuck it I'll trial on crutches yep. right and it was spectacular his dog didn't miss a beat the dog like was phenomenal, it didn't give a shit that he was on crutches. Now, good training, good mm-hmm. dog, all those kinds of things. Yep. But I imagine a different breed of dog, would that could have been a big problem.
0: Yep. Right? It'd be the perfect storm for a different dog.
1: Yeah. Mm. But you, and, and so, obviously, you know, not to take away from his fantastic training and his dog's really good and you mm. know, all those things. But if he had had such as good a training and as stable a dog and all of that, but it were a Border Collie – that might've resulted in some real issues because it would have been really spatially sensitive to this new movement that yep. he was
0: doing. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Good example.
1: So it, uh, it just got me thinking that I think that of most people, when you want to consult an expert and we're on, we are sort of on a bit of a theme at the moment, we noticed like we were talking about the role of the master coach in mm. the recent episode and that sort of stuff. It's just, it's just really got me thinking because at the moment people are looking to further their education and it's, you know, why would I go down one path over another? And I think that's probably a good idea is to look at the type of dogs. People are like the expert of your choice. Yep. Are they starting a type of dog that you would like to start? And do they have the end product of the type of dog that you would like an end product of? Yeah. Right. And then, if they're successful in their field, well, it's probably because they also like that
0: type of thing and they're, you know, they're uh, a tune and accustomed to putting out that type of product. Mm. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. I've seen people who have persevered a training style with certain trainers before and the marrying up of the two of them aren't really compatible. Mm. Yet, I think sometimes they get very overwhelmed with the with the stigma and the popularity of the trainer at the time that they'll persevere amongst it. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's me or you or anybody else that they go to, like after they start wising up to the fact that this is just not a good or a successful arrangement, they'll generally start to venture out at that point in time. And hopefully people start to do that before it's a little bit too late down the track. And that's what I think some of the advice that I generally give people is, you know, like if you realize that this isn't going where you want it to do, it's in your best interest with your dog to say, hey, thanks, but... I'm thinking that this is not the right way to do it. Like you don't have to be rude about it. It's not about checking out and saying to the person, I think I can achieve different results with another trainer, then do so. Mm. I mean, you would do that if, in kettleballs if you were finding that you were getting shoulder pain from – the way somebody was showing you how to do it and persisting on pushing you through it. And then you went to another coach and they said, no, that's not right for your shoulders, Pat, you know, like your shoulders don't roll that way. You need to lift like this. Yeah. And it needs to be the same way in the dog. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking competitive obedience, a household domesticated pet, whether you're talking about a detection dog or what, you know, there needs to be some consideration and, I guess this is where one of the best phrases I've heard, which I did get from Boyd, which is begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it comes from people like Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. It comes from that mentality of training your your progressiveness in life. And I encourage people to do the same thing like that. So even when we're training skills training for argument's sake, begin with the end in mind basically means where do you want to go? Like where do you see yourself? And I know that can change. You know like there is an evolution in training where you start to go down the path and then you change your mind and you're entitled to do that as long as the dog is capable of doing that so some people go in in head into training and they find the dog's got more capability than what they found to start with like there's considerable capability in the dog mm. and then they think to themselves well i wasn't considering a career path in psa but you know i've been down to see pat and done a lesson with him and he said yep your dog's got all the hallmarks of a, of a fantastic psa dog or maybe advise them, look, I appreciate that you're ambitious here, but your capabilities of the dog will never meet what the criteria on the field will be. I think sometimes you've got to take that into consideration. There are a lot of good coaches and master coaches and trainers out there that aren't ill-advising people. There certainly are people out there that do it from ego. You know, They're stuck in a, a mindset, if I can't fix it, nobody can. The hard part for a new person in the industry, for somebody who's cutting their teeth on is how do they know that? Mm. How do they understand? Because some people get very starstruck when they're in front of the trainer of their choice. They get very overwhelmed or underwhelmed or whatever it might be. But look, I've worked with people before that weren't right for me. You know, we just didn't have a good cohesion working together. And early in my career, I would have bashed through it. Later in my career, I don't. I just say, oh, I don't think we're compatible for each other in nicer ways, of course. But, you know, I just say to them, I think this trainer would be better for you for what you want to do. It's not my field. It's not something that I'm, I'm either not interested in doing it or I'm not equipped to do it, not qualified to do it. That's what I'm searching for. Mm. So I think – um For trainers out there, for young trainers, even um, trainers who have been in the game for a bit longer, don't be in a position where you think you have to push through that.
1: Well, I think – so here's the tricky part. Mm. I think the the skill then is identifying, is this the way the person trains? Like if you're looking for the right trainer for you, right? Yeah. And you look at the person and say, this is how that person trains. Is it because that's all they have? Or is it because Sometimes. that's yeah, right? So mm. is it because that's all they have, or is it because that's the way that they like to train and they're totally capable of adapting to whatever else, right? Yeah. You know, talking to someone recently, in fact, I put a post on, up about it from the recording that I took about e-collars. And it's really common you hear people say like you should never put an e-collar on a young dog, right? Like e-collars are only for adult dogs mm. and and you'll ruin a you'll ruin a young dog if you put an e-collar on it. And I would never argue with a person saying that. Because the way they use the e-collar- They're right. They're right. You Mm. shouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that if that's the case, then you would say, okay, like, if and when I need that service, that's where I'll look. But then if you say to someone and they say, look, I don't, you know, I don't use e-collars on young dogs because I use it mostly as an aversive tool and I don't want to be doing that to young dogs. i wait until I can, you know, if I can't train the behavior out in some other way, Then by the time the dog's an adult, if it's still an underlying issue, I might create an aversion to that behavior then. And I'll go, oh, cool, no problem, right? You understand that the e collar has other functions Mm. and maybe you can explain it to somebody else. You just choose to use that different path. And so – the same problem, you've got someone that's saying, no, I only use the e-collar as an aversive, and one saying, that's just how I use it, and one saying, that's how it is used, yep. right? And I think the trick can be identifying the two, like, which one is that person, right? Yep. Like, in which direction does that go? And so, like, I am that person in, in some ways as well. Like, I talk to people. People always ask me about bark collars, and I say, well, I don't use a bark collar. I go to a lot of effort to make my dogs not barky. I'm not anti-bark collar. I don't have any issue with using them. Mm. I just don't. So when people, like, if you're going to give the one sentence answer, Pat, do you use bark collars? No. Okay.
0: <laughs> but you've got to have a long dramatic pause before
1: it. Yeah, but that's it, right? So, <laughs> <yeah>. mm, no. <laughs> but so I think that interrogation then, or interrogation is probably not the right word, but like the, the follow-up questions. How come? Oh, uh, well, I think they're cruel. Okay, well, that tells me what I need to know about you, right? Mm. How come you don't know use bark collars? Well, I go to a lot of lengths to not need to. And yep. the reason that I, I don't is because I don't want the risk of, you know, I, I don't, I'm don't i not in control of the dog when he goes to the bark collar. He might really be barking at something genuine mm. um, that I would like him to bark at. He receives multiple corrections. It could give him the scars to the e-collar. Like it, for me, I decide to put that into the the risk
0: column. Yep. And I, you know, would rather teach the dog. So you, you know, elaborate, bark. you don't just stall yeah. on a feeling yeah. or a conclusion. Yeah,
1: that's mm. right. And, but I think that most people, when you ask, like they don't know that they're being interrogated for mm. what's your theory on this. They just say, if you said to me, like, if you just said to me, what's your theories on buckle's I say, oh, I don't really use them. That's it. Right. Well, there's no follow-up. And so that's the tricky part. I think that for people who are interested in who's going to be their trainer, who are they going to work with, who's going to help them through this journey. Yeah. And, or when I have a particular problem, who am I going to go to for that problem? Mm. Right. Is those follow-up questions of the understanding of the why. Yeah. I think that in everything in dog training, and I think it comes back to a lot of the same stuff that we've talked about a lot is when somebody is doing something, if someone has a particular way of doing a thing, If you say to them, why do you do that? And they kind of shrug their shoulders or they say, that's the way my grandpappy did it. Yeah. Then you go, okay, well, it works in this circumstance
0: with that particular dog. I know where your limitations are.
1: Yeah. Mm. And if I have that problem with a similar dog, you're Mm. my guy. Yeah. But if you then say to someone like, how come you do that? Say, well, this particular dog on this particular day with the wind blowing in this particular direction took me down this path and they can explain that. Then you go, Oh cool. So when you had dog X on day Y right, and now I've got dog a on in circumstance B and now what? Oh, well that would, mean blah 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 then that's a different person right and i think that anybody who always speaks in absolutes is then gonna you know that's where you're gonna run into trouble with people who are gonna likely push your dog into a if it's not the right dog for their program mm. that's where they're likely gonna push your dog into uh an uncomfortable state or maybe just the the training not being as effective as it could be in another way mm. So yeah, I think that everybody that is effectively training dogs and anybody that has a reasonable profile is effectively training dogs, right? Because you you wouldn't like you you must have enough successes to be for people to be coming to you. If you're going to someone whether it's just your local guy or you're trying to decide which, you know, world famous international trainer you're going to buy the DVD of, right? They are successful mm. because they have that out there. But then it's worth if you're really thinking about who's the one for me is like have a look at like deeper at what they do, right? What games are you playing with the dog? Like what sports do you compete in? What What is it that you're, you're doing? Um, and are you a specialist in this? And are you, are you a specialist because that's all you know versus are you a specialist because you've tried everything else and you, you're aware of everything else, but you decided this is the path for me?
0: Right? It's not dissimilar to interviewing an employee. Totally, mm. totally. Doing a CB check, looking at references, checking them, making sure that, you know, this person is going to match the criteria of what your expectations are. Totally,
1: mm. totally. And I think that like the main thing to keep in mind is you look at the the types of dogs that people like to work with mm. and, and th- even the selection of the bloodlines that they want to work with. Like when you're dealing with the very high level people- you look and say like, you know, that's the particular type of dog. Because if you're breeding your own dogs, you're breeding – if if you look at a high-level competitor that is breeding their own dogs, and most yep. of them are, mm. they're breeding for the type of dog they want.
0: Yep. Right? They understand the dog.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, everybody I know, every successful breeder I know – really is just breeding dogs for their next dog. And Mm. now they've got a whole bunch of other ones that they're, they're selling also right? because they're trying to continue a lineage of what they like. Mm. So if you have a similar dog to that, or if you have one of their dogs, that totally makes sense to then follow their plan.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's a good breakdown.
1: Stop trying to smash the square peg through the round hole without Mm. first preparing it. I think.
0: Yep. Yeah. That is definitely some sage advice and it's probably things that people They probably wouldn't analyze it as deeply as that i think a lot of time when people get themselves a puppy or even an an adult dog they just get so overwhelmed and so excited they just they jump on the internet anybody who's got a bit of a flash web page they're already invested in the marketing criteria so if you've been an avid listener of the show and you've been listening to things that pat and i have been talking about certainly one of the criteria that we're trying to push is look beyond the flash marketing yeah you know just having a nice painted car or you know flashy business cards or an operating website it doesn't mean that that person is the right person to train your dog look a little bit beyond that do your homework you know push into it lean into it a little deeper i Um, think you know like but the
1: problem i think is for the average pet person who's probably not like the random pet owner right who's probably mm. not listening to us is it's so easy to bamboozle them and make up just total it's emotional. bullshit. It's emotional. Well, but but emotional. You're, you're, you're pulling up, emotional heartstrings. But also just make up total bullshit. Like yep. I, I think I told you one time, I was in the park training with Remy and this guy is sort of watching me at distance and then comes over and wants to talk to me about dogs. Oh,
0: is this being your monkey dog or something? You no, know? no, different Diff- one, right? different, different Different yeah. Jono?
1: <laughs> yeah, different Jono, right? But it's <laughs> actually same place. Okay. And he comes over and he goes, oh, yeah, he's trained up pretty good. You reckon he trained my dog? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And uh, he goes, yeah, it, so is this German Shepherd, right? It's like big, good-looking sort of dog, right? And he's talking to me. And while he's chatting to me, I had thrown the ball for Remy and like with that chucker thing. like So, so he's 100 meters away. He's gone like a good 20 seconds or whatever, right, as he's bringing the ball back. And I'm talking to this guy. And he goes, yeah, my dog fucking blah, blah, blah. Got him from this breeder, paid whatever. He's a stud, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, I get 700 bucks a root. Right, And I was like, oh yeah, okay. And he goes, see, your boy's got his nuts
0: on. You get much for the roots, right? <laughs> no joke. This is the conversation. <laughs> this like, is definitely old John Jono Park. Yeah. Like,
1: I, I, There's no shit, right? Mm-hmm. No way to lie. I go like, oh, well, I don't own him like that. Like the guy I got him from owns him genetically. I've never bred him. He might choose to breed. This is years ago. Remy's still young. Uh, he might choose to breed him. I don't know. That's, you know, I, I don't know. He goes, yeah, my dog's father's a a, a champion, right? And, so his dog's standing there and Remy comes running back in and it goes over to look at him and Remy just kind of like is running past it and his dog is so weak, nerved. It fucking just empties, doesn't actually empty, but just runs for the hills, mm. right? Like it's fucking so scared of my dog. Who's paying no attention to him other than running past him. Just got startled by it and runs. And the, and the dude's like, ah, oh, bloody hell. And I'm like, his father's a champion of what? Running. Like, Of what? Like, what is it? And, and he was convinced. And I spoke to the guy when he went and recovered Mm. his dog and they ended up talking to him about how he could fix some of the nerve issues in his dog that he had bred already. This dog was an adolescent dog, right? Um, had bred already and had all these great plans to, to breed from in the future. And I say to him, like, what's the father a champion of? And he, Mm. he just blanks there. Look at me. He's a champion. I'm like, of what? like, Champion at turning food into shit, like, because, <laughs> and this guy, he is, he's looking at me yeah. like baffled and you could see he was just repeating what he had been told mm. by the breeder. And I was like, you know, like the, there's so many dog sports, like tell me what titles he has or if he's a show dog, like tell me what he one to get, mm. to be called a champion. Like, and what was it about him that they liked? Right. And I haven't seen the father. Maybe he really was something extraordinary. And like, like you know, maybe the father really of this dog was something special. I don't know. Mm. But like, all I see is a nervy, big hunchback dog. Yeah. Right. And he looked good. Like certainly looked good, but there's nothing about this dog that I really want to pass on to another dog. And he'd bred it multiple times already mm. under the guise of the father is a champion. Right. Right. And I hear things as well like again people will say you know like oh oh mate's a national champion I'm like at which competition mm. because you know I tr- like in Australia people will say like oh he's a, he's a national champion of, of what I track dog sports pretty pretty closely I yep. uh, I follow as many things as I can and probably even disciplines I don't follow I can tell you who the national champion level 1 2 and 3 in IGP in Australia are yep. right and and in Mondio like I follow that I'm really very interested in that Of what? Champion of what? And because it's – you can't check that. It's not like these are results that are published in the paper.
0: That's right. You know what I mean? Like, If anything, it's more underground than – Exactly. hmm.
1: But that's what I think. I think that it's so easy like for people to just bamboozle. And and you see like what you and I might look at as like someone might be out in the park or or look on their Instagram or whatever and they're doing – what the average pet owner would look at and go, holy shit, amazing obedience. Mm. Right. And you and I would look at and go, Oh, not bad obedience. Has to carry the toy. Hasn't been able to fade that just basic sort of stuff. Yep. You look at and go, yeah, it's, it's good. They're good. But the average person would go like, wow, that's fucking amazing. It's so easy to bamboozle them. Yeah. And you go, that's not a finished dog. Like you see, like, you see how he's got to hold the toy in his right hand every time for the dog won't do anything. Like mm. if, if that's what you want, then that's the guy to go to. But like, it's so easy to pull the wool over their eyes, and I think what the the average public who are looking for a trainer need to sort of uh, look beyond
0: that. Well, look beyond expand that, expand so, their level of experience.
1: Well, and but say like I want to see. If you're happy with that, then that's fine. But like, especially if you've got an aggression issue or something like that, it's like, can I please see some references? Mm. Like, can I see some dogs that you've rehabilitated and and what are they at now? And like, because these days there's no excuse for not having before and after type stuff, right? Everybody has that or like video because everybody's got their phone in their pocket Or at least having some testimonials of like, yeah, this is what happened. You know, this was our headache dog before and now he's a happy family member. But I think it's so easy to fake even testimonials. Like, so I think Mm. that it's so easy for the average person to be bamboozled by industry nonsense.
0: I've got a question for you. Mm. Based on what you've just talked about over the last five minutes, do you think that some of the people that we may consider to be industry phonies, do you think that they know that? Do you think that they no, know I that they're a phony? Or? No, I don't
1: think so. I think that mm. they're like limited by their range and scope. And yep. so that's what I mean. And so you spot on in what I'm saying is when, like I heard someone say you should never use an e-collar on mm. a young dog.
0: Yeah, I've heard that on, on e-collars and prong collars. Yeah, mm. I- and slip lead.
1: I would never try and talk someone out of that. Yeah. Because I'm like, you shouldn't. Yeah. You absolutely shouldn't.
0: Yeah. Your scope of understanding is so limited, it would be dangerous. Yeah.
1: And, I, and and the problem is, like I say, those people, they're not full of shit they're, because they're going to be successful at what they do. Otherwise, yep. they wouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But then it needs to, you, like, the hard part is for the, the average person to get to the bottom of that mm. and go like, but why are you successful? Yeah. Is it because you, like- what leads to the success cases in this? And and is your definition of success the same as my definition of success? Mm. You know, unfortunately, I think that a lot of people really just want their, a shut down dog. A lot of pet people, right, just really want a shut down dog. And they don't know that's what that is. A lot of people look at a dog who's, you know, walking on eggshells. Mm. And they describe him as the perfect dog. He never does any, never makes any mistakes. He just wants to sit on the couch. He likes getting pet. He, you know, he does all this kind of like he's, which is 90% of dogs out there. He's the dream oh. dog. It's what we mm. want. Right. Yeah. And they don't understand. It's because you know that, you know, that minor back fence barking issue that you had, and you had the guy come over and blast his head off with the e-collar. Well, he didn't fix your minor back fence barking issue. He stopped the dog expressing drive. Mm. Right. So now your dog is so scared to do anything Above a level of excitement that he doesn't get himself above that level of excitement because that led to punishment, not the behavior of barking at the back fence. Mm. So at best, he lives this shitty life of a capped life. Yeah, Mm. right, where he's constantly like, fuck, I can't do anything, I'll get in trouble. Mm. And at worst, you know, that's a Coke can that got shook up and then explodes one day, right? And yep. he, he yeah, can't contain right. it
0: anymore and it blurs that's out. That's your ne- next Jeffrey Dahmer right yeah. there.
1: Well, and, and you know, like to, to put it in real dog training terms, this is often what we see with the dogs that people who punish just the act of like barking, lunge and growling without mm. actually addressing the underlying issue. So, yeah, no worries. I can stop your dog barking, lunge and growling right now. I can mm. do that for sure. But uh, you haven't addressed the underlying issue. So
0: your dog doesn't stop the expression of it, not the undercurrent. Yeah. And mm. so
1: what we didn't punish while he was barking, lunge and growling was biting because mm. he didn't get to that point, And now he will. And he'll do so without barking, lunge and growling. Mm. And that's the sort of thing like there's a difficult middle ground on all of this because I think then there's, there's the old school like, oh, just crank it away. Right. And that works to an extent. Yep. And then you end up with like what you refer to those silent killers. And then that gives ammunition to the people who will then say, shouldn't use any pressure, right? Like you shouldn't, you know, just punish that aggression. You can never use pressure during aggression because you end up with the silent killer.
0: Mm. But the
1: truth is like, it's somewhere in the middle there, right? You got to show the dog, Hey, that behavior is unacceptable, but also like you don't need to express that behavior because there's, here's the underlying issue that I'm going to work hard to erode away and, and rebuild from the ground up and say to you like, there's an alternate behavior you can show if you're uncomfortable, but mm. also let's not make you so uncomfortable, right? Mm.
0: This is a very deep conversation because it there's so many variables in where this all goes, like this, mm. it really explodes in different pathways. I well, mean, it started,
1: I mean, I really wanted to talk about how to identify how to get good advice, and now we're kind of talking about how to stay away from the bad advice. And, and unfortunately, you know, I, but I just, they, unf- yeah, unfortunately, they go hand in hand, yeah. But I think that the people who are best to hear that aren't going to be our listeners, right? Because like people listening to this are at best dog training enthusiasts, Mm. right? Sorry, at worst dog training enthusiasts and at best, you know, professional dog trainers, right? Or, or competitors or something like that. But so, of it inspires them to lift their game, then... No, but what I'm saying is the people who are getting really bad advice and having their dogs ruined are just the random pet owner, yep. right? Who Who's like, hey, I've got this problem with my dog. I don't know what's going on here. You know, and you call the best ad in the phone book or, or on Google, you Google on the phone book. What, hell? <laughs> <laughs> what am I even saying? <laughs> what's that? You know, that's how I got my first job. When I when I left school and decided I want to be a stonemason, I don't know why I thought that. Yellow pages. Yellow pages. So yeah. I bought the Saturday newspaper, which was yep. you know the jobs newspaper. Yep. No yeah, ads the job section. No ads for apprentice a stonemason. Yep. So I opened the yellow pages, and there was you know went to stonemason, and there were two companies that had big ads. Yep. I called the first one, a place called uh, Jasper Swan. He didn't answer. Left a message. Called the next one. He gave me a job while I was on the phone to him. The other one called back and yep. was like, yeah, I'll give you a job because I guess no kids were looking for, and as well, a first
0: year apprentice is basically a slave. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I
1: used to get paid $176 a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mine s- was $70 when I did my first yeah. year, 70 bucks.
1: Yeah. So this is in 2002, I was mm-hmm. getting $176 a week Yeah. Uh for Six days of the hardest labor you can imagine. Yeah. Like
0: even now, I think fuck, I couldn't do carry, sweep, <laughs> clean, pack up, wash <laughs> so cars. So hard. Go and get lunch or everything. So hard. Yeah. Mixing mud and
1: pushing wheelbarrows and carrying rocks everywhere. And for hard.
0: people who don't know what the yellow pages are, it's a book. Yeah. It's a own book There's where actual people that
1: they I it's was like, like
0: it's it's printed google yeah i'm tiktok
1: yeah. obsessed at the moment I'm, I'm pretty much off facebook i just watch tiktok right yeah and i follow this uh, strong man who does like these funny um feats of strength they're not yeah. funny feats of strength like they're kind of uh everyday feet, real life feats of strength. He yep. bends metal and tears stuff up. One of his things is he tear, he can tear a phone book, right? That's impressive. Um, yeah. And mm. lengthways, not like through the spine, like straight down the middle. Wow. And people, people are like, do another phone book. He's like, it's really hard to get phone books. Yep, <laughs> You can't get them anymore. He's like, that used to be part, a big part of the act. You get yep. up on stage and tear the phone book in half and people are like, wow. And now you can't even find one to tear apart.
0: Yeah. They're thick too. Like they're the, they're about this, the it's thickness. Like three inches thick. Yeah. Of them, yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> back,
0: <laughs> back, on on the, back on the training. But yeah,
1: like most people, they Google the area and the, yep. the best website comes out and fuck like, man, I was that like, that's where I ended up with my first dog was I Googled Malinois Sydney. Yep. And the you go to the biggest, best website and you don't know that you're buying it from a fucking, they're laying a booby trap into you.
0: Yeah. But and that's, that's know. the issue. And that's, and again, it goes back to do a little research, you know, have a look at a few. And I mean, we've got so much good access to forums now where you can actually ask people for reference checks. Yeah. You know, like, do you know these people? What are your thoughts on them? Yeah. And you might, you might be unlucky enough to have a really good trainer that gets bashed by somebody else online. But, you know, that doesn't often happen. Usually what I find is in some of the good forums, people are saying, well, you know, look, this is the trainer I went to. This is the Result that I got off them as opposed to when I went to this person, they gave me this. And if you see, you know, if, if there's enough mud, it will stick to yeah. to, to some of them, I think, hopefully.
1: Well, I think as well as, you know, when you're talking to people, whether you're looking for a coach to get to the highest level or whether yeah. you're looking for somebody to, to stop the most basic thing. I think that anybody who speaks in absolutes mm. is going to be a problem person Yeah, because you don't find anybody at the top of their game. They don't speak in absolutes because they, they've they seen it all, mm. right? And you go like, well, this should work. Uh, this is the technique and this is how it will go. But there's exceptions to everything. Yeah, There's always an exception that almost proves the rule, right? Mm. Um, and you got to be adaptable. I think most dog trainers are adaptable. And yep, if they don't want to adapt, it's usually because – Like, so they don't
0: understand it.
1: Or like, if you're looking at, you know, in their defense, some of the the best dog trainers on the planet that I know as well, right. They, they might out refer a lot of people out because they're like, Hey, I have my specialty.
0: I'm not interested in. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And that's fair. I I do agree with that. Your yeah. dog
1: is not going to fit down the lane that I have chosen to walk and mm. I know how to fix it and I'm capable of it, but I have a backlog of work in what I love to do and what keeps me passionate. Yep. And so I will on refer you to somebody else. Mm. right? I think that that's totally fair as well.
0: Mate, I did so much pet dog training in my first years of training, like so many board and trains, like thousands and thousands of dogs. And for me, although that was fun at the time, it's not fun anymore, mm. you know, like doing the same thing over and over and over again. I like variation and I like certain things that are interesting, you know, and that's why I like playing with aggression and that's why you like um, working with your Napo Post style of training is it's interesting and uh, there's so many components to it that you can pull apart and, you know, you're a little bit like a technician as far as training goes. You really like to get into the weeds of things and pull things down to the molecular level to find out why it's happening and how it's ticking. But it's still, there are certain dogs and clients out there that you just think, well, you know, it's really not my jam. It's, it's. I think this belongs in somebody else's camp. Mm. And it's fair to say that sometimes, I mean, I refer a lot of people to other people because I just think, well, you know, either a, I'm not a specialist in that. And it would be, it would be insulting for me to try and push through that or B I'm just not interested in it. Mm. And it, either way I'm doing the best thing by the person in directing them because they're going to get the best of somebody else's efforts and trainings rather than, Get my inexperience or my lack of enthusiasm to do that.
1: I had a win two weeks ago with a client that I've had for probably twelve months or more mm. with two separately reactive dogs. Real problem, real problem. Dogs. The, the truth, truth be told, they're not very bad, but really causing her a lot of issues. Yeah,
0: right? it's Did, significant to the owner if it's if it's an issue. Oh, it, it's
1: yeah. been a huge part of her life. Yeah, and only wanted to use totally force-free methods. Yep. And got referred to me just through the vet, like, so didn't have in mind what a dog trainer was, was like, just I'm the guy, like just the guy down the street. Right. Anyway, been with her for over a year and two weeks ago, convinced her that a prong collar was the way to go. And it's been sessions, you know, sporadic sessions every couple of weeks and whatever. Yep. And we made a lot of good progress, like basically staying force free. We did Mm. make a lot of progress. And, and if she can. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think was difficult for her was staying on the idea of like, you know, as I explained to her, there has to be consequences, right? There has to be consequences for the dog's actions. So we need to not put the dogs in a position where they can display the behaviors we don't want, unless Mm. we're prepared to follow through the consequence. And if you want to be force free, and you don't want to use any pressure at all,
0: you got to work hard and be smart. Yeah,
1: you got to be so much better. And and it, it got to the point where basically, there was an incident where she's like, you know, this is this is like the what happened. Well, no, in the end, she wasn't ask me. I, I always said from the start, when you want to fix this problem in two weeks, mm. we can do it. Yep. Right? Like when you're ready to fix this problem, you let me know. And a couple of weeks ago, because how many kids are now around and the dogs, one of the dogs has real issues with skateboards, right? Like goes crazy at skateboards. Yep. It nearly bit a kid. And the dog's a sweetheart dog, mm. but it's just, you know, the typical, like,
0: I have to. Drive I'm, expression. Yeah. I have mm. to chase that
1: skateboard. Yep. And we've done everything else. Like everything is in place. The dog plays, the dogs go spring poles, Got all of that, but there was nothing to tell the dog. You shouldn't do that. Yep. Right. And then I basically, I was like, is it time? Like, are you, are you ready? And she said to me, you know, the, and what, what got it where she said, Pat, you don't understand, you know, I'm upfront with people about this kind of stuff. I say, You'll hear people say about the prong collar because everybody will Google it, right? Mm. If you say that name, they'll Google it as soon as you leave,
0: and, right? and they'll see horror and they'll pictures see, immediately. Yeah, they'll
1: see the the pictures of the yep. medieval torture device, yep. right? And she says, "You just don't understand how much joy these dogs bring me, mm. right? And I don't want to do anything to them to diminish that joy." Yep. And I explained to her, "Looks like get that, but you have to consider, like, first of all." Imagine that it really was this terrible tool, right? Imagine that, like, let's pretend that, and I'll accept what you're telling me, that this is the worst tool that, and, and it's a torture device, right? Yep. It's not, and we'll talk about that later. Mm. But imagine that I accept that, and you tell me how much joy these dogs bring to you. If your dog bites that kid, that's it. It's over. Yep. And you, you walked around a corner, and there was the kid on the skateboard, right? Like, it was a chance encounter. I was like, you're lucky it wasn't my kid. Right? Because your dog is going to be the loser of that fight. I'm telling you, no dog is biting my kid in the street. That Mm. is not happening. And I was like, imagine you get someone worse than me, or that really does bite the kid. And now you've got a kid who's at best fearful of dogs for the rest of his life. Mm. At worst, he really does get badly injured. Right? I was like, that's the end of your dog. It's gone. You're not getting it back.
0: Right? And then they don't understand the legal ramifications that are horrific. Yeah, and tormenting on top of the loss of your dog, but like the legal thing will be one thing to go down. But imagine the dog bites like and puts
1: us. Imagine, I I know, know without without exaggerating, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to brag, but if like if my kid received a sustained bite in the street, like that is that not, dog would be in half. It's I'm going to stop that in mm-hmm. the most horrific way. And I'm a dog lover. I love all that, but yep. there's no dog that's worth more than my kid. Yeah, right? I get it. Yeah. So, but the thing is, like, I'm trying to explain that to. him. like, so even if it were this horrific tool isn't it worth that they endure a few minutes of discomfort to then have the freedom of relieving yourself and them of that risk for life. Mm -hmm. Right. That's how I brought her around to it. And because, you know, I'm upfront with people. I say like, you know, people will say with a prong collar, it doesn't hurt. Don't worry. I'm like, no, it works because it hurts. Yeah. Right. That's, that's how It's uncomfortable pressure. It's not going to injure them, but Mm. it is going to hurt them. That's the idea. Right. Anyway, we go on the first walk with the prong collar. (laughs) before we get to the bottom of the street, she's convinced. (laughs) She's like, oh my God. And I like, and look, it actually has increased your relationship with the dog. Mm -hmm. Right. Because now the dog knows when it's wrong. She's been telling it when it's right. Heaps. Right. And the dogs are all over that. But when there's competing motivators, right? Like how much food you're carrying and she didn't want to do proper existential food. She never withheld food from the dogs. So like, you're just like, providing treats when when the dog makes feels like taking them Mm. right versus like telling the dog no that you can't do that and he's an ultimate behavior that you can do and get paid for anyway in minutes she's like she's she wants all her friends to start using prong collars right it's like the best thing ever but that took me a fucking year i was working on her for a year yeah i know right and there were so many times along the way with her that I just wanted to be like, oh, fuck this. And, mate, I hated driving to the sessions. Mm. Hated it. As I was driving there, I was like, oh, man. And I feel like a fraud because we really – I know all the things to fix this. I know. I know. how to fix this problem.
0: It is somewhat heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. I know mm. we can fix this. This is not – the dogs are not serious dogs, mm. right? Like, they're not – the problems that you're having are very minor issues. They look really bad. Yep. Because we've got no way to communicate to the dog that they shouldn't do that thing. And so, they're just self-reinforcing. The moment that there's any feedback, you shouldn't do that. They're going to cut it away because it's not that reinforcing, yep. right? But when it's that or nothing, of course they take that. Right. But anyway, a fucking year I wa- worked on this lady. And you know, in the end I gave she's got plenty of money. Yeah. I gave her the prong collars.
0: Did you get them from Minesweek? I did. They oh, were from okay. Minesweek
1: dog quit, right? <laughs> Where you else, where else would Jason you get them? Ferman. Where else would you get prong collars? <laughs> but I fucking gave them to her because I was like, I want you to know this yep. is not, this is not me trying to get more money out of you. Like, have them Mm. and also i think one of the reasons i did that was she doesn't want to be using it forever big part of it at the start was like i don't want to do this forever and i was like who does but i was like if you are consistent and you do it for long enough the problems will go away you won't have to condition the new behavior so i was like i will lend (laughs) you the prong collars because i know that you will use them and give them back and you will Notice the huge difference in three or four months. You're going to have built new behaviors in your dogs, three, four, six months, whatever. I told her three weeks, but (laughs) to get them on, but you will have built new behaviors in your dog and you will no longer need them. And I will take them back. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not like a prong collar wears out. I will use that on other dogs. Right. But anyway, so I think adaptability is interesting in dog trainers and dog training where when I went to her, I was like, no, this is, you know, this is my thing. Like, yeah, like these dogs are not that serious. We can fix that. Today, we can put a big dent in it and, you know, within a few weeks, it'll be gone. You just got
0: to do this and didn't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, shit, I'm here, right? Everything that you've just talked about, all your frustration, the length of time reminds me of my stint when I went totally force-free and the frustration that I went through and forced upon myself. And I think that was probably the most uncomfortable in dog training I've ever been in my career Mm. is when I imposed a restriction on myself that I just couldn't sustain any longer when I saw the impact it was having on and the ramifications of dogs that could be fixed within a two-week period. Yeah. So I understand and, you know, and, and we've spoken of it multiple times across our podcast is we understand the importance of uh, positive reinforcement. And we do understand that we're both high advocates of that system of training. We, You and I both preach that separately and collectively that we appreciate how important it is, the layering in of it, and, you know, you you use as much of it until you can't any longer. That really is a stepping stone issue for a lot of people. And that conversation often comes up a lot. You don't know how important these dogs are to me. I just love them so much. In my mind, the example that you were using was a perfect example. You yeah. know, I really, I think that is a very good point is, yes, I understand that and I get that, but when push comes to shove, and your dog expresses that behavior upon an innocent child or another dog in the street or anything like that. Everything up until this point, okay, is a problem. After that, it's a nightmare yeah. and a fucking nightmare. Yeah, It's the sky falling on in on top of your head at that point. And I know that there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this and going, you know, but Glenn, come on, you know, that's not the only way to train a dog. And I am 100% with you. I know that's not the only way to train a dog. We've said this. We acknowledge it's not the only way to train a dog. However, what we've also been saying, and if you've been following along, is that you've got to understand that the importance of doing this is you have to be open to explore things. You know, why keep bashing your head against a concrete wall? The wall's going to win that argument. Yeah. It's interesting. It's not
1: where I saw this going. But what's interesting to me is if you're going to try and fix a a case like that using only positive reinforcement, for sure it can be done. Mm. Like, many people could do it but you would have to be so much better a trainer. Like you would have to be exceptional to really pull that off and it it could be done. And, but the overwhelming majority of people and not all of them. And, you know, we've had people on the show that uh, they won't make the time. Well, but no, but they are incapable. And Mm. the overwhelming majority of people who are anti use of tools of any kind, right. Mm. Do not have the skill to pull off what they are trying to do using only positive reinforcement. Yep. And I think that's one of the things when you're talking about looking at a trainer, if you're a person who is like, no, I, I want this behavioral issue fixed using only positive reinforcement, there's a good chance it probably can be. Mm. The timeline's going to be different and the amount of effort and skill it's going to require is going to be much higher. Yep. But you're going to have to engage with someone who's really fucking good, not someone who just is like anti tool Because being anti-tool and being an exceptional positive-only trainer, they're a different thing, right? And just because you say prong collars are bad doesn't mean that your use of positive reinforcement is good, right? And I think that, you know, that's why I still, like – I spend a lot of time investigating it and, and looking into the really good force free trainers mm. because they're the best at that because they have to be, they have to be so much more skillful. They yep. have to be, yeah you have to be so much more skillful to tie your hands behind your back and still win the fight. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. yeah So,
1: but so few are, when you see people who are like, no, never use that tool. It's the devil. Mm. Right. Well, it's like, okay, but like, are you well enough versed in opposite use right like are you well enough first it's Mm. when people look at it and go you know that's not for me like my ethics say i shouldn't use that and as a result to be successful i've had to become extraordinary at at this they go cool you're the guy like no worries we can do it like i'm with you
0: yeah we're not just after the parrot fashion explanation yeah but i don't like it because somebody told me not to like it.
1: that's right and when people talk in absolutes like when it's exact Mm. same thing when someone says a prong collar is cruel of course I can be cruel with a pr- prong collar. Of yep. course I can. But I can be cruel with a fucking yellow crayon if I, if that's, if like cruelty happens in the heart and the mind, not in the action. Mm. Right? So like I can be cruel with whatever I want to be cruel with. I don't need this tool. What I'm doing with this tool is communicating to the dog. Yeah. But what happened with this lady is I turn up, so I leave her with the prong collars, right? She's now like, wow, this is great. But he still has reservations, especially one of the dogs is really fluffy. So it when we're taking it off, it kind of got tangled a little bit. And she's like, am I hurting? And like it was tangled in his fur a little bit. And like the dog didn't like having it taken off, right? Yep. And anyway, I turn up the next week. Now I've been going, you know, like spotted sessions for 12 months. The dogs, when I get there, the dogs are like, yeah, hey, hey, go on, right? Like it's all fine. When I get there the next week, the dogs are the happiest I've ever fucking seen them. She's the happiest I've ever seen her. All the problems have gone away, right? And she still really wants to get rid of the collars, like really does not want to use them forever, but 100% now sees the benefit and realizes I was confusing and frustrating my dogs. A lot of the problems that I had, that she had, were because the dogs were like, they were were aware when they were doing the right thing that she wanted, but Mm -hmm. had no idea that the other things that, Um, she didn't want them doing, that they shouldn't be doing that. And then the relationship gets damaged, right? She ends up resenting them on the walks. They can't go on walks, especially at the moment. This is when, you know, schools were shut down. So kids fucking everywhere. It's like permanent school holidays, right? Mm -hmm. Kids all over the place, riding bikes in the area. It was a disaster for her. Now, suddenly their lives are, like so much better, right? The dogs are happier. She's happier. Grease me with a big smile, right? Like it's a, <laughs> yep. the whole situation's a million times better mm. because of this torture tool. But I think, you know, the reason I bring all this up is like, you cannot deal in absolutes. Like yep. you, I think that anybody who says this is the only way it will work is wrong. Now I knew that, like I knew that she wasn't going to be able to do the positive reinforcement part, but you know, this is why I hated going to those sessions, man. I fucking hated it. I was sitting in the car on the way there.
0: Cause you're like, placating your, your client.
1: Totally. And just yep. thinking like I have my hands tied behind my back and you know, yeah, I honestly think that me or any other dog trainer could have, the dogs are not that, Serious, right? Mm. They could have actually fixed the problem using nothing but positive reinforcement. But, but you feel like very, a one-legged man in an ass-kicking yeah, competition. Yeah, you have to be very calculated yep. use of it, though. Like, yep. it's totally possible. But she's not. She's, a you know, does whatever she does. She's just a pet owner. and She doesn't mm. have the skill and nor the, the interest or capacity. And, you know, the issue with the dog that chases the things, like, that's why we had to do a spring pole. It's like she's not physically capable of engaging in play with the dog. Yep. And I think that's a big issue as well. Like, you know, while we're on the topic is this idea of like you chase the ball. You know, like in my experience with a lot of dogs, that makes them worse. Like my own dog, I can wear him out in 10 minutes. I can just get the chuck it, ball goes out, ball comes back. Ball goes out, ball comes back. That. Gives me 10 minutes of reprieve. It gives me 10 minutes of doing it. And it gives me 10 minutes as he recovers. But to him, that doesn't count as a session. That's just mm. him getting to sprint. That doesn't, that it doesn't wears count. Him out. Right? It just, like it wears him out physically for a short period of time.
0: Yeah. The, the the thoughts are still there.
1: And most dog training people can understand that. No, he needs to work, mm. right? Like he needs to, he needs a job. He needs to do stuff. Now, yep. if I do obedience and we reward in the same way, he's happy. He's content. That's a happy dog. Mm. Right. But most people, what I was really struggling to explain to her is like, no, your dogs are really unsatisfied just throwing the ball in and out. Mm. They might be physically exhausted for, you know, an hour afterwards, but that doesn't do
0: anything for the state of mind that they're in. Comparatively, people are finding that out now with this pandemic is that they need need something to do. They need a job. Like staying at home used to be their ultimate dream. Like thinking I need to be at home, you know, like that's what I want to do. Now that they got their wish, there's a lot of people who um, wish that they could put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking oath. Mm. Fucking oath. But anyway, yeah, that's my rant about it. But It's a a good rant because what, you know, like in summary, what you've been talking about is getting a little bit deeper in the weeds with your trainer, like interviewing them like we would an employee, looking into, you know, their background and, and checking up on them and finding out if there really is good cohesion there.
1: Yeah. Totally. And I think, you know, no matter what you're looking for, if I'm going to summarize my own point, no matter what you're looking for when you're talking to a trainer, anyone that speaks in absolutes, yeah, it has to be this. There's no other way. That's when I would go, that makes like, mm, I don't think so. Right? When people say, "Ah, oh, this is what we do. And, you know, this is the successes that we have. You say, what about this? And they say, that can work. You know, there's reasons we do this. There's, mm. there's a reason that we've chosen this way. No problem. Like yep. that's what we want because everybody has their method and they like their method, mm. no matter whether they're, whether they're fucking Ivan Balabanov, Bart Bellin, and Michael Ellis yep. versus the Jono local dog trainer who runs little obedience classes in the in the school on the weekend. Yep. like they they've got their method and they they have their method because it works, right? right? They they're happy that with the product that they're getting out. But then you got to understand, like, you know, why is are they happy with the product? Like, what is the product that they're happy with, and why is their method work for them? And and if that's what you want, they're sometimes the it's just getting paid. Yeah, but that's the problem, mm. right? Sometimes it is. And, yep. and But like I say… Whatever you reinforce, you get more of. The frustration for me is that that message is unlikely to get to the people who need it, yep. right? Like Because when you're talking about the, the top-end dog trainers they're all capable of training any dog, right? Mm. It's where, it's where you're going to spend, where's your money best spent, right? Yep. Like, and people were talking, you, you're dealing in, should I get 99% of what I need to know or 99.9% of what I need to know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep. at the end of the day, who gives a fuck? You're <laughs> going to get amazing information from those people. Absolutely. No matter what, it's going to work, right? Mm. But when it's, you're dealing in the local Jono, you could really fuck your dog up or yep. you could really end up in some big problems. So be careful of anybody that speaks in absolutes. Mm. And pass that message on, I hope, to your family and friends and disseminate that into that the average dog owner's hands so that when they are talking to a dog industry person, they know what to look ask for. Ask some
0: questions. Yeah. All right. Like for some follow up. That's it. That's a nice deep topic, but it's uh as regularly, it's important for people to sit back and have a bit of a think about.
1: Hmm. Um, all right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm.
0: As always, if you like what you hear, please like,
1: rate, share, subscribe, do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Mm -hmm. If you want to support the show, there's a website called Patreon. And the, the idea of Patreon for people who don't know, because we have sometimes people who are on Patreon, they'll say to us, oh, my login's not working or my credit card's declined. We have no access to tech support. We have no access to any of that. The way Patreon works is it's like a third party that you have a login to them. You go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You search us, The Canine Paradigm. You can pay anywhere between three dollars and infinity yep. per month as much as you would like it supports
0: to our show it keeps our yep. bills paid That's what thank pays you for all thank our you stuff. thank you thank you thank you we love you yep. and appreciate you
1: as a big thank you to the people who you you know initially when we put that up the idea was that we were asking for money to help support the show and keep it going yep. and what we do is a thank you is we put different content into those tiers so three bucks yep. a month gets you an extra episode it's usually an educational thing mm. ten bucks gets a live q a on that episode as well as some other stuff that we trickle into there and the 20 gets, you know, like more content and it's usually snippets of workshops that I've done or, you know, Skype calls that I've done with people who put chunks of that into mm. there. All right? So choose your level. Uh, but the way it works is we don't see your credit card details. We have no idea about any of that kind of shit. If your yeah, credit card...
0: Patreon support does all that. Yeah.
1: They do all that. And that's mm. the idea is it's like stops us having to have a processing facility as well as yeah. protect They actually data. get a,
0: like a- Yeah, a, they get a cut. Cut off the top for yeah. doing all that. So yeah. that's their job.
1: Yeah. Yep. But you know, like if your credit card expires, we have no idea. You just fall off of our radar there. Mm. You're, new, you're gone from our list. So yep. that's how Patreon works, guys.
0: And what I do want to add to that, to the end of that is um, all through this coronavirus pandemic, there are still people like we thought there would be a considerable drop off and- there have been people who haven't been able to stay on. We aren't totally understand. There's also been people that push through it, and we can't express to you what that means to us mm. because you know it really was a difficult time for a lot of people. and there were no expectations, just appreciation. And you know everybody who's jumped on board for that, everybody who's gone out and told somebody else because Patreon for us also is a word of mouth application. So there's been a lot of people who have told friends and said, you know, look, I just saw Pat doing something on the box or something like that or, or multiple markers. Um, there was some great video content on that online or whatever or or some of the scent detection I've done for NoseWorks type training, et cetera, et cetera. And people have just gone out into the community and fished other people in for us. So there is a lot of appreciation, a lot of appreciation.
1: And the money all goes into the show.
0: Yeah, we, we tip it back. We just spent
1: a shit tonne. On the new format of the show. Which is going to be really
0: exciting, we so, think.
1: We hope. <laughs> we hope that people don't go, oh, yeah, that's all right.
0: You two Jonos. Two dickheads. We hope yep. when
1: that gets going. What's the latest on when is the gear going to arrive?
0: End of June. Okay. Yeah, because of the pandemic, Pat and I invested some of the Patreon money back into as he said, a new content that we're developing, but um, because of the pandemic, we have to wait for some of the componentry to arrive. Half of it's here and the other half is coming. And well, to be honest, Pat came up with this idea. He messaged me and said, you know, I've been thinking about this. What do you think? I loved it. Um, I was on board straight away and I said, yep, let's pull the trigger and do it. I think it, you know, it's a great reward for our community. I think it'd be very interesting and it just adds a new layer of, of enjoyment to the paradigm.
1: Yeah. And, with the gear that we're getting, when the world opens up again, it's going to give us some pretty cool capability yep. for dog events and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Just as a teaser on that. You'll, <laughs> you'll know exactly what we're talking about. When when you see the first new episode, you'll be like. Ah, you, now you, I know. If you think the way I think, you're going to go, oh, this could. Open up a whole chain yep. of outlets. So anyway, that's exciting. You yep. guys paid for that.
0: Yep. Thanks, Patreon. Thank you. It was
1: expensive, but yep. we hope that it is worthwhile.
0: Yep. And we've been saving for a long time.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And another way you could support the show is buy yourself some cool gear, yep. some Teespring. So yep. the way Teespring works is we gave them permission to use our logos and yep. designs that people did for us. Avery, thank you.
0: Yep, Avery. Um.
1: And so if you buy a T-shirt, they go ahead and print it up. Um, and give us a logo And they give us a little piece of that, yep. which is nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, another way you could support the show while repping us, showing our brand off. You mm. could. We also get a few bucks per t-shirt. What do we get? Eight bucks or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think we get a bit. Yeah. about between six and eight bucks. Six and eight bucks. Yeah. yeah. Depends on which shirt you get or something. Yep. All right. Those are ways you can support the show.
1: If yeah. you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that, the best way to communicate with us is in the Facebook group. That yep. is the, by far and away the most effective. If you've got questions on specific stuff, you can group source that. Or... If you have like some personal feedback or whatever, the best way is to do that to us individually, if you like, or you can shoot us both an email. We are info at the canine paradigm. We got a, uh, com. We got a beautiful email during the week, which was amazing to read, um, but it was personal feedback that we can't speak about publicly, but it was,
0: it was amazing. It was, yeah, it was a lovely email and very appreciative. Yeah. Mm. So that's cool. It really was. That's it.